selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. You know, <laughs> okay, it's actually just so funny because what I love about Shopify is no matter how huge and massive you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control, yes, daddy, and take your business to the next level because we're business women. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash book club. That's shopify.com slash book club, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash book club. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Celebrity Book Club. My love who is it? Maria, darling, it's Sir Rudolf Bing, the Hi. director of the Metropolitan Opera. Sir Rudolf Bing, do I know you? Uh, yes, Maria, I've hired you to sing for the 54th season of La Chianti. Oh, of course, I... Come in. I'm just uh, rehearsing. Mar- Maria, darling, hi. Yes, it's it's me. It's Rudolph. Oh, Bing, darling. Mwah, mwah. How are you? We're very, very excited to have you um, perform this season. As you know, uh, there's a slight problem. We simply cannot do the 3000 American dollars per performance that you are asking Benzassi, for. Benzassi, do you hear that? He can't do the 8000 Well, Chicago wants to give me 1000 to do Aita at the Chicago Lyric Opera. Yes, but darling, you're not going to be exposed to the same kind of audience that you would be here in New York. And also, I have to say, the budget for weekly flights to and forth from Rome, it's simply not going to be possible either. Well, darling, I need to fly my teacher. My teacher's in Roma. My husband's in Roma. We always fly. We have, a, we have practices. We have a dinners. Also, you've asked for a budget of an entire Virginia ham in the dressing room every single night. That's not going to be possible either. Oh, how do you think I sing so well? I eat ham. Maria, darling, you're one of the most incredible performers. I know. In the industry. <laughs> of course, we love to have you here for the entire season. And all of our patrons are very, very excited about you. But you- Oh, you're so sweet, Bing. 
Yes, yes, yes. But you also must simply stop putting your cigarettes out in the eyes of the young children who are working in the orchestra pit, cleaning the shoes of the violinists. It, it's, it's simply, it's very difficult to have to explain why the little sons and daughters are coming home to their parents with their faces all mangled. Growing up in Greater Roma, do you know my father? He would, he would, he would smoke a cigarette and, and he would say, "Sing for me, Maria," and then I would sing for him. If it was not good enough, you would put cigarette out in my eye. Maria, listen, I- I'm going to say something to you, right? I'm going to be very honest. You look wonderful, okay? The weight that you've lost is very impressive. But I do know that you're under enormous financial stress by being sued by your former manager. Oh, and if, a fucking bastard. If you bastard. Do, if you agree to do this, I will pay you in cash. And therefore, your former manager will not be able to get his grubby little mitts. On your salary. Oh, Bing, how about this? You pay me in cash, but you pay it to my husband first because we have he, he deals with the money. We do an offshore lot bank account thing. And I will stop with the cigarettes, but I also want my dressing room filled with my favorite cigarettes when I come in. And I do want, now I want two hams. I want to gain the weight back. All right, listen, it's a deal. Pay it in cash. No more cigarettes. Double the ham. Thank you, Maria. Perfecto, Bing. Perfecto. Good luck. Passionista. Who's that knocking at the door? It's all your friends, you filthy whore. Your husband's gone and we've got books and a bottle of wine to kill. It's Hollywood. It's books. It's gossip. I'm shook. It's memoirs. It's martinis. It's Studio 54. It's Celebrity Book Club. Come read it while it's hot. Celebrity Book Club. Tell your secrets, we won't talk. Celebrity Book Club. No boys are allowed. Celebrity Book Club. Buzz me in, I brought the Cuervo. Hey, best friend! How are you? It's so good to see you, milady. Oh, you look plump. Thank and you. big, just how I like my singers. I've been on many, many vacations in Argentina and Italy. Um, que pasa, Stephen? It's really good to see you. Um, yeah, really good to see you, too. It's been a wild week. I was at a birthday party last night. I was playing forehand piano. <laughs> Which means you're playing piano with another... With another man. With another fellow. Oh, yeah. that, oh that's what they're calling it these days. Yeah. <laughs> Forehand piano. Okay. Which I thought was very apropos because, of course, this week we read a book that was highly musical. Highly, highly musical. Um, We read a book this week. Yeah. And, you know, this just came to me on a Amazon.com search. Now, the book is called... 5,000 Nights at the Opera. The memoirs of Sir Rudolph Bing. And of course... Sir I clicked on it and I was like, yeah. well, this seems fabulous. And I feel like I asked my mom about it and she was like, <laughs> Sir Rudolph Bing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was only about the sassiest manager in the Metropolitan Opera known to man. <laughs> <laughs> and he certainly was. So he was the general manager of the Metropolitan Opera, which is, of course, New York's famed opera house. From around years 1950. 1972 or something like that. Yes. It was a good 20-year run. And of course, for those of you who don't know, um, you may have heard of Lincoln Center. You've seen this beautiful space within New York. It's around 66th Street, somewhere around there. He really put, and it, he put it on the on map. The map okay? yeah. It came alive. I mean, 
I don't think before that, that area, yeah. Lincoln Center, people said, don't go there, darling. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this was, you know, I don't think there's a neighborhood in New York that at some point people didn't say, oh, darling, it was only for the drugs, dr- you know, the druggies and the pushers. Right. And you're like, what? It's the opera. So this book is really absolutely wild. Like, I, you know, my references for the book coming in were like Peggy Guggenheim and Ben Franklin and some of the more historical things that we've done. Um, but it's, it's so, so dense. It's this insane res, and it is very bitchy. But like, it's it's almost like impossible to parse the bitching. I mean, like you read, you see the bitchiness, right? But it'll be like about this incredibly specific things you've never heard of. Just like, well, darling, and of course, and so then I moved to Gerstenstrasse, and their theater could barely be called a theater, and I had to, and I had to hear people sing for Tristan and Isolde. And if you think that isn't the worst thing imaginable, then I don't know what to tell you. And he'd be like, and then Ebert, of course, said, well, give me a mezzo-soprano. And I said, oh, wish I could, but everyone is absolutely horrible. So I would never recommend any of these Eastern German mezzo-sopranos to any one in West Germany. So of course I took a vacation in Vienna. And you're like, okay, let's take your breath. So like but yeah, there it, is no breath. It's yeah. just this constant list of like different mezzo sopranos, different managers at different small theaters in Germany who then he did later work with twenty five years later. In New York. I know at first I was like, oh well and it's also it's a slim book. It really looks kind of old timey. So old timey that um I lost my copy. Well, first the cover fell off. You know, it's this total use. Like the book looks like a used bookstore in that way. You know what I mean? Where it's like yellowed pages. Like you're just in like maybe a bookstore in, I don't know, a vacation town or something like that. And you come upon it and you're like, ugh. And there are like little, you know, black and white photos. There's fabulous black and white photos of him like playing chess with Richard Tugger on Rigoletto <laughs> set in Boston, 1952. It didn't seem a classic, also kind of old timey memoir where Not he's a like. a lot of personal details. It's like, well, and I would walk in the woods alone when we would vacation in the Dolomites yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as a child with my terrier. <laughs> so, yeah, the beginning of the book, I was kind of getting this faggy vibe from him because he kept saying like, well, darling, I simply didn't want to play badminton with my cousins while we were in Chamonix. (laughs) And you're like, save, I didn't want. He was like, and they all were terribly like encouraged to play the sporting events and I just couldn't be bothered. I wanted to do more artistic endeavors. He wanted music. Right. And so... And I'm thinking like, okay, this guy's going to be a fagota, right? Well, that's actually, from the get-go, you're like, this is the biggest faggot. And then, and then he like reveals, he's like, and then I met a woman and of course it was love. So we got married. Her name was Nina Skolskamaya Stetsteslukia. <laughs> and she was a ballerina with the Vienna Voxenhagen. Oh, he also made this reference to, he was like, and of course, like all the young men in Vienna at the time, I fell in love like with a ballerina from this company. And right. like <laughs> all, the, all the nasty, how is, is it, um... Viennese, yeah, uh-huh. okay, Viennese <laughs> rascals, you know. No, I know it's very like the ballerina, like those thin ballerinas, like those were just like the baddies, the, the baddies, hotties. the hotties, and like guys just were like scooping them up. Those were like the crop top <laughs> Times Square Amy Landere girls of the day walking around with their like crossbody Chanel's, and they're like, we all like fuck yeah, like we yeah. all wanted just like one of these hot cheesy girls. <laughs> well, but wouldn't it be more like they're the like models or something? 
I'm t- I'm referring to like the the Nolita-fied version. Like, yes, these yes. are the cheesy girls, right? I my only thing with that is, <laughs> and if I just may, you I think just, they're more like actually like fashion model girls, where they're more of the like, yeah, like they're okay. ballerinas, like they're thin. They're not just being like this is my day in New so York. Not being girls. Okay. <laughs> I do. I this do, is my day in Australia. <laughs> I kind of do think that Nina Bing though is a little bit like this is my day in Austria. I wake up, my husband goes to work at the opera because like the opera was more mainstream back then. That do you is know true. And that's why it's like you can be gay without being gay. Like yes. it was more mainstream to just you could just be like a straight guy well, working the opera and knowing. And this is also not to bring it back again to my family, but this is my mother's defense of why my father is not gay is because it was just like you could just be a cultured man who loved and the he, opera. And he is from nineteen twenties Vienna. And he would literally <laughs> in he would wait outside and get like rush tickets to go to Bing's in Bing's years to the opera. Wow. To like get Renata to Baldi's because he was like in love with her darling she was like your father she should my mom would be like your father gay please he would wait outside the metropolitan opera to get ronaldo tobaldi's autograph have you ever heard anything straighter i mean my goodness the man could barely keep it in his pants for renata <laughs> no it's like and this is the yeah the moral is like men were gayer in the past yes. straight men were gayer in the past they had interests they right. were cultured and then Reagan right. you know stepped in it literally and... is all Reagan's fault like Reagan turned every straight man into an absolute gorilla right you know these jocks yeah so I see what you mean about Nina and and, and that's very fast you know we get to Nina fast and they marry and no then... and then he's like and thank god you changed your name to Nina Bing <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Bing and Nina, they're always, like, renting this furnished room. And then, like, at one point, they, like, go to these, like, grounds. Maybe this is during the war. I honestly can't keep track. Like, him and another crew. He's always talking about this man, Ebert. Yeah, Ebert was, like, a central character that came a lot. But I think they ended up working together at that place. Glindenborn. Glindenborn. At at one point (laughs) in the book where I was, like, literally drink every time he says Glindenborn. (laughs) I was, like... Girl, and what is Glindenborg? Okay, so what? So he's running around Germany, blah blah blah. Then at one point they go back to Berlin and they're running a theater there. And he was like, and he was like, and we lived in one of those massive Berlin apartments oh, yes. that's simply too large for two people. And good friends of us gave us a ping pong table, and we would play ping pong late into the night at three in the morning. Having it back and forth, and back that and forth, volley back and forth. So that's back what and makes forth. me think he is so straight. And it's him and Nina Bing playing ping pong and just like having so much vermouth. Well, right, because can't you imagine he's in this like blazer and the like, cravat, right? And they're circling, and it's just yeah, it's just like sweet vermouth. And he's like another vermouth, Nina, and he's slapping her ass. And he's, and he's like, how I love it to watch you walk away as right. she like pours his like tiny little special vermouth like Sambuca <laughs> cup and he's like another round <laughs> so then after Berlin they like the war is sort of happening and in this Peggy Waits everyone's like and darling they were trying to leave but then my cousin was still in France and you know everyone's kind of like slowly trying to get the fuck out of and Central I Europe I feel like his like contract he was like well I would never leave on a contract but the Nazi occupation did seem to be getting a little more serious yeah, yeah it was he was like, yeah. it did a bit of out of hand. And of course, Dresden was much of a Nazi city than the way that Berlin was at the time. And if you if you were there, you know what I'm talking about, of course. No, because there was this point where he was like, I had 
had this contract with this like theater and then he was just like and then like stormtroopers literally like, came to the office and he was like i'm getting the vibe that like we gotta go we gotta go and like you're not gonna be Girl. actually honoring this contract and like maybe putting me in jail boots because like i am like a social democrat and i'm like open about that but then there was the point at which like this was like so like still in the 30s when the nazi government was like we do want to like germanify like the Czech, like Czechoslovakia. So, like, will you go to Czech Republic and like do? Or it wasn't Czech Republic then, but like go to this area of Czech and do like German plays, right? And he was just like, "Well, darling, of course, like, yes, I, I could." You know, if they're gonna have the budget. And then he was just like, "And so, of course, then I had Oppenheim, who was a Jew, and like, I'm sure the Nazis didn't love that." And so he has been so like, "Okay, we'll go do this like nationalist propaganda, like German plays in Czech, but like, I'm doing it with my like." Jewish, I like intended musical director, and then a couple of other social democrats, like in the cast. And, <laughs> well, and, then he was and of like, course, and we'll, oh, and we'll be broke by Christmas, darling. And we were broke by Thanksgiving. <laughs> this was my favorite quote. He was, he was like, and of course, I was a social democrat as we all were. He was like, but I was Austrian, so I wasn't doing anything political. <laughs> and I didn't think that if like him like not voting or something, or him just being like, well, that's the Austrian way. Like, of course, my beliefs, which I'm kind of obsessed with, he is just being also like Twitter. In yeah. that way, where he's like, "Well, of course, like I am this. I'm not really going to do anything, but you know, yeah. he's sure, not, darling." He's not being so just like, "Oh no!" And then I'm joining the resistance. No, I mean Which, he was resisting his own way by hiring. Yes, a- by hiring a Jew. Um, and he well, then his later he like is pretty sure that his brother was in the like Maquis. The like Austrian, like French rural resistance. Do you remember this part where he was like, and then I heard like a radio transmission from this like guerrilla, like rebel resistance telling people that like it was actually too dangerous and like they should actually like. He's vaguely ringing bell. <laughs> anyway, but he was like, and I distinctly like knew that I it was my bro- my long lost brother's voice that I've never oh, mentioned in this memoir until now, but like while I was hiding out in Glindenburg. Which is like also like imagine just hiding in Glindenburg and you're getting that radio, you're hearing random radio transmission and you're like, oh my like, god, that's my brother. So he was in the resistance. Good for him. That's- I guess that is kind of Facebook. <laughs> it, you are like finding, you're like, I just messaged with my long lost stepbrother. Okay, so the early part of his career, he's going around to different like opera houses in Germany. And it's very just like every small German town you've never heard of has like a fabulous opera house that's like paid for by the local government. And it's also very just like European governments do support the arts in a way. So right, he's working in these German opera houses Wait, and... But can I... Oh, okay, you do you remember please? the part where... Okay, I'm just going to read this one part. Of course, the star system as practiced in Berlin was not the kind of problem it became 20 years later. In 1931, singers still had moral and artistic integrity. Their prime concern was the mastery of their craft, the preservation of their vocal ability, and, believe it or not, their duty to their public and to their theater. We did, however, have in Berlin one episode with a star singer worse than anything I've ever experienced later, (laughs) when the husband of one of our best sopranos, Gertrude Bindenagel, (laughs) shot her dead on stage during a performance, I believe for some reason of jealousy. And then, just, <laughs> and then it just like goes on to talk about like other random singers. And you're just like, I'm sorry, Gertrude Bindernagel was, was shot, shot dead on stage. On stage. And well, then, isn't that a common thing? And... I don't, Dolly, and I don't think that was common that not, an opera singer was no, shot dead no, in the not, middle of a performance. Not common, but I feel like oh, like m- op- crimes of jealousy. Crimes of jealousy, especially with opera, because it's always about right. operas are always about like you know someone being killed for love. Right. Anyway, and I feel like sometimes life. 
imitates art. Exactly. And this is the most tragic part of all. She wasn't even cheating on her lover. It was a case of mistaken identity. No. Yes. Yes? No, darling. Yes? Gertrude wow. Bindenagel shot dead. She shot dead because of what? Yes. One crazy man's... Yes. Well, I mean, the, the misogyny, the jealousy, the anger, the violence. And of course, this was before the war. In the 20th century, what era would you like to go back to in time travel? I mean, be in like your age now. You know that artist, B.B. Rexha? Yes. So, Who's so, in the Albanian crew? She's in the Albanian mafia with yeah. Julipa. And like someone asked her on on the internet, they were like, oh, what time period would you want to live in? Like if you could live in any time period. And she said, Paris in the 40s. <laughs> Just like Nazi <laughs> occupied <laughs> Paris. <laughs> Obsessed. <laughs> I'm really obsessed with. But you know, when you ask me that question, of course I want to think, I'm very dying. I've really about it. We're like, yeah. oh, New York in the 20s or New York in the 60s. You know, mm, oh, right. what an amazing name. And of course, as a gay man, and then I think, oh, well, New York in the 70s, the sex. Oh, yeah. And we'd fuck we'd and fuck, fuck and, and fuck, fuck till we, we couldn't, couldn't fuck, fuck anymore, anymore. And then we'd do it all over again. Um, No, but I mean, yeah, of course. Would I like to be like a fully like fab bootlegger in the 20s yeah or if you were like a rich person like in was so gilded age and you did have like so many servants at your like fifth avenue mansion in like 1902 i'm actually not about 1902 it's a little still too clop clop for me <laughs> like i need the you want a car yeah i'm kind of like trying to get my own honk honk bitch celebrity book club this episode is sponsored by zocdoc You're trying to find a cause for your symptoms. Achy back, headache, runny nose, itchy eye, wart on my genitals. So let me guess, you stumbled down a TikTok rabbit hole full of questionable advice from so-called experts. Suddenly I have cancer? Uh, no thank you. (laughs) There are better ways to get the answers you want and the care you deserve from trusted professionals and not random people on the internet. Though randoms, I love you, and my TikTok addiction, yeah, it stands. But I'm sorry, Lily, you shouldn't be getting medical advice from some girl in her grandmother's basement in Toronto. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience you want. That's right. Ditch the talk, get the doc. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Mm, I love a trusted guide, like the time I climbed to Machu Picchu on the Inca Trail with a team of Sherpas. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. So find your Sherpa at ZocDoc.com. Go to ZocDoc.com slash book club and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Slay. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash book club. ZocDoc.com slash book club. Ditch the talk. Um, I want to read this part that I think, honestly, we can really relate with and um, as kind of wine snobs. Okay. 
I must admit, though, that the major of our profit was the sale of wines in the restaurant. A refugee wine merchant, Dr. Loeb, persuaded Christie that Mozart deserved the be- the very best in German wines, and that the audience for Mozart would be willing to pay for them. Sales often exceeded 100 bottles in an evening, though Glindenborg at its largest never held more than 450 seats. So people are like downing bottles wait, throughout this. Wait, was this the person who then became like the advisor on German yes, wines wait, to the king? <laughs> Christie had to build a new cellar to hold the supply. He became an official advisor to the king on German wines as a result <laughs> of Glyndebourne's <laughs> reputation in this area. And during the war, he sold the cellar at auction, feeling that post-war patrons would not be able to afford such luxuries for almost 100,000. My own palate was both educated and spoiled by these German wines. <laughs> to this day, I can drink nothing but the best, which is far too expensive for a mere general manager of an opera house. I also would like, I feel like that would be cooler if Lincoln Center did that today. I feel like they're just having like the big Josh and you're getting like a wine to go see the opera and it costs $28 and it's like... Yeah, so they should not, be. I mean, a, I'm, well, a they're like not giving you actual glasses, like which is so you're deeply getting uncivilized. In, like, this big Pepsi cup. Yeah, they should be giving you like a crystal glass with like a beautiful <laughs> wine that is paired from the region where the composer is right. from. If you're going to see a symphony, darling. Okay, so after so Glyndebourne is like in England, and he gets this job like doing this random, just like kind of destination opera, like in the middle of the English countryside. And, but then at one point he like goes to London in the war and he's doing like working as like a wartime rationing clothier, like at this weird like shop. Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, this passage. So he's working at this store. One of the worst battles I had was with a buyer who had purchased a consignment of ink pots <laughs> with covers depicting the heads of Churchill and Roosevelt, complete with cigar and cigarette in holder. One lifted their scalps to find black or red ink. I imagine in those days it was Churchill's head that held the red ink. <laughs> I, it's like, I don't even get what that joke is. I simply refused to place these like, monsters... Because blood was on his hands? I don't think so. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I simply refused to place these monstrosities on display and ultimately I was summoned to explain my conduct to the chairman himself. That sounds like something I am buying. That was literally what I wrote okay. down in my notes. I was like, stop. This is literally, <laughs> Wait. he's offended by these ink ponds that are so, so lily. lily. <laughs> I was just like, you would so buy this. You're like, okay, this is so cool. Like, it's this ink pot. You open Churchill's head and the ink is inside. No, and I'm like, it's crazy because I it's actually, really creepy. I got four for $50 at this estate sale of like Churchill's head. So like, now I could use it for her India ink. <laughs> now it got to me going home tonight, like searching eBay and antiquearena.com for like Churchill's head ink. Um, no, and it's just like pots. Rudolph Bing would be so insulted by your sensibilities, oh, by your like retro like, rockabilly. Like he'd be like, oh, all the so dolls. Tacky. Okay, well, so, so that- he, get, we, we, he gets to New York. Well, no, but after, well, hold it quickly. So then he invents the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I believe. Because he oh. is just like, and then we went to Edinburgh and I convinced them that they had to do this festival. And like, I he's feel like- so iconic. It's crazy because like he is running like he is such a girl boss and like this insane way. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, he's business seven- about it. He has an incredible artistic eye. And then he's also been like, because remember in the beginning, he was just like, you know, a big part of being a manager is the scheduling. And so I would put out all these paid. He like 
was doing the first like Google Calendar when he was like putting <laughs> yeah. all these pages on the floor of his office, like handwritten, trying to figure out like when people should be rehearsing in different halls at different times. And it's like now he could just go to Monday.com and set up like a booking schedule. Right. And just being like Maria Callas, your room 302. <laughs> wait. OK, wait. This would be such a like Super Bowl ad for Monday.com where it's like someone oh, in the 30s trying God. to do scheduling. We need to make that <laughs> ad. And it's like and it's like this dark and it is being so gilded age this huge office and all these opera singers are storming in being like why is she in my room and then it's like Eva Longoria appears from the future and it's like try monday.com <laughs> oh that's mortifying okay. Uh, okay so then he moves to New York okay can I read the section where he describes the opening night crowd at the Met and how offensive it is yeah <laughs> um Many of those in the audience were people who came to the opera only this once every year. Cafe society of the lowest order. Gossip writers from the gutter press. Celebrity seekers and clowns looking for the publicity the newspapers and now television would give any freakish occurrence or appearance at the Metropolitan's opening night. Literally us. Just like any people trying to go to open gutter, gutter, gutter sluts, gutter sluts. Best line ever from the movie The Faculty. Gossip, gutter sluts, clowns, absolute (laughs) clowns. I'm like, that crowd sounds so fab. And it's like all these like insane like gossip brag columnists, like (laughs) trying, like searching to get a glimpse of like Tuscanini. (laughs) Yeah, and they're like hoping that Tuscanini is going to have some row with like one of the mezzo-sopranos and like be so wasted before he gets on stage. And they're writing this and Bing is like peering out of his heavy, heavy velvet curtain (laughs) and is just like, oh, cretins, clowns. Okay, this part... Just in in his interview when he's like being interviewed by the Metropolitan Opera and is like wondering, they're not offering him like that much money, but he stays at this hotel and he leaves. Do you remember this where he leaves his um, shoes out in the hallway because that was customary in Europe? Oh right, and for them to be for them to like shine your shoes as you slept, yes, and then you wake up and your shoes are shined, and then he's like, and I open the door. And there were no shoes. Darling, they were stolen. Yes, they were stolen. He had to go to meetings all day and mm-hmm. interview to become the manager with no shoes on. What didn't he have like other? He didn't well, I think he a... no, he wore other shoes, but right. I mean, but they it weren't was... his shine shoes. Yes, his shine that, right? shoes. So absolutely horrifying. Dastardly. Yes. I thought, I mean, one thing that is, you know, really kind of stuck out to me with this book is, like, how much funding there seems to be for the arts and, like, even in small yeah. cities. And, you know, that's obviously more common in Europe than it is in America. But, like, you know, to this day, I, I was like, you know, is there that kind of funding? But, you know, at that high level, there is. Because I was talking to a friend recently who said, you know, darling, the, the general manager of the Met these days is making $2.5 million a year or something. Like, oh, of course. There's absolutely that kind of money is there. Because, I, you know, I said, well, you know, darling, as a podcaster, I can't even pay my rent. But then I'm thinking, well, I, you know, we're not the Met. We're, no, we're not the Met. We're not. We're not doing like. And you are not the conductor. Yet, we're not Gina. doing del po like del pano, or um. And so the mo the opera that I'm like most familiar with um is Carmen because my sister was in um, the Boston Lyric Operas. As a child, Produ- as a she was uh, yeah because there's all these children in the town and in how, opera. And, but you know, our Massachusetts labor laws. Really, how does it intersect with that? I mean, she's not allowed to work that many hours a week. No. So she would go to rehearsals like in the afternoon, like twice a week, probably. Mm. Um, and she would play the 
soundtrack like every day. She was a like, part of this kids like opera like after school thing, and then they got like cast through that. Um, and so with Carmen, that's where the drama. So he has famous drama with the opera singer, the, one of the most famous opera singers in the world, Maria, Maria Callas. Yes, they have some serious yeah drama. Well, and then because there was a point in which she gets fired, and it was splashed across the headlines. Bing fires Callas. There's always like there's always so much gossip reporting. It's like, and of course I got off at the plane in, in Milan, and the reporters the were hounding me. Yeah, like I love that. Just opera news was this big of a deal, right? That it's like, and that's why those gossip clowns are there. So basically, okay. Well, he, so first of all, when he goes to like see her sing for the first time in Italy, he's like, she's insanely fat. And then when he talks about her losing like weight, he's like, well, she did look better. And he and he was like, she didn't look like a fat person who lost weight. Wait, which I, I love was that like, part where he was like. She he didn't have any of the telltale signs of an ex-fatty. <laughs> I was like, you are insane. He was like, she wasn't being so, like, loose skin about it. Like, she <laughs> actually looked like she just healthily lost the weight. But that is the thing. It's like opera singers were known. It was, like, better if you were fat. People believed it was better if you were fat. Because, like, you could, like, sing right. harder. Here's the part. During this <laughs> summer, Miss Callis lost at least 50 pounds and became the astonishing svelte striking woman who conquered the operatic and much more than the operatic world. It was like Anderson's fairy tale. She showed none of the signs one usually finds in a fat woman who has lost weight. She looked as though she had been born to that slender and graceful figure and had always moved with that elegance. <laughs> So him and Maria Callas, huge, I think it, like it set the world afire. Like it was the like Michael Bay to like um, Megan Fox, like drama. That's a random reference, but like. You're random. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it was quite, you know, like Scarlett Johansson suing Disney for her share of yes, Black Widow or whatever. That's... I mean, it was really quite intense. And so it, it starts out with her just being this insane diva and she is demanding so much. Oh, she's like demanding way more money than anyone's ever made. She's like, I need like so many plane Hams tickets. And plane tickets. And then at one point she like lowballs him as I feel like a really fun power game, which I love where he was like, fine, I will offer you $600 a week. And she goes, I'll do it for $200 a oh, week. Oh, yeah. And he was like, no. You will do it for $600 a week because obviously he knew if she did it for $200, she'd have something up her sleeve. He also refers to her concubines, which I wonder was she by? Because he was like, and I will not pay for tickets for any like lovers, squirrels, pets, or concubines. (laughs) What he was saying, like, well, the later part where he was talking about the IRS at like uh, the very end, and he was just being like, and, you know, the way that European singers try to conceal their income from the IRS, like, <laughs> poodles become secretaries, <laughs> like, husbands become agents, and, like, everyone is, like, suddenly a write-off. <laughs> Rarely did they have composers for new composers. Right. Because um, usually they're, they're just, like, doing Mozart and Beethoven and whatnot. They're doing dead guy stuff. Right. Or doing, you know, the old operas, you know, Aida. Right. Um, and so, and he's like... New operas didn't do that well, which I feel like just until now, like, is still the thing. I think it's really hard to break through with a new opera. Well, certainly at the Met. I mean, obviously, it's just like, you know, PS1 is putting on Colin Self's opera. Right. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, Colin Self. <laughs> and, right. Like, you can do, like, your experimental queer opera, like, at museum stuff and, like, art world stuff is doing that. But in the actual opera world... 
they're not and like well, the Cincinnati remember, Symphony Orchestra is not even doing but like, I've a new read composer. about like some new opera like last year and of course I do not remember what it is but I do remember and it was like Lily read about an opera last year <laughs> look and as you know I as I mentioned I come from an opera family so I, I like right. to stay can we stay actually in- hold on if I may pause for a second do you like opera yes because I I have to say I actually don't like opera that much i am so much more anti-classical because i i love words i love singing i need word hound over passion you know um and so an opera to me i also find the music like a little bit like sexier than just strings violin blah 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 you know, Pavarotti. like it feels like someone's getting murdered you know the murder part i love I guess my where I struggle with opera is I do feel like they come in at a 10 and it stays at a 10 the whole time. And the, yes. there's this insane drama from the very beginning of the show where it's, it's oh, and I'm like, OK, like, has anything even happened yet? You know what I mean? Because the, the productions are always very static. They have to be because of the singing. So it's not like there's it's not like an actual, you know, musical. Well, play when was the last time you saw an opera? I saw an opera. I, I've saw an opera at the, at uh, the Bastille. In Paris, I've seen an opera at the Met once, um, and it. But it, you know, it is. It, you know, I feel like the costumes are very glamorous, but no, they can't like move a there's lot. There's not a ton of movement. There's not a ton of dancing. Singing. You know, what I mean, yeah, they're singing. And I'm so, a little talking about more like listening. I, I mean, I, yes, I get it, but I just like, and then I don't like that I can't see because you know when you're going to a classical show and you're seeing the Boston Symphony Orchestra, you're seeing the players, right? Yeah, they're which, on stage. I don't want to see. I guess, and I think because you are a pianist, like I'm not. Dying, you know. But if I'm seeing this big mezzo soprano and she's on stage, okay, and she's belting and moving, and there's costumes, and like someone's dressed as like a lion, and then right. someone's like murdering each other. I don't need to see a man in his penguin suit, you know. Yeah. String, string, string. I also think that because for me, and again, like you know, it's the language thing. It's like you know, they're usually singing in Italian, even if they're singing in English. It's very hard to understand the actual lyrics that they're saying. Because of, but isn't that the, the romance? That if you're up. hearing someone sing in Italian, I totally get that. That's the romance. But for me, it's like I'm frustrated that I can't actually hear the words they're saying. You know, as opposed to you go see Chicago on Broadway, you can understand every word perfectly, and you know, or as opposed to classical, where the notes are the words, right? And you hear that G sharp. Mm. And it you... sounds like you actually have a fear mm. of being out of the loop. Well, that is deeply accurate. Um, you're like, well, I can't hear the lyrics, then, like, wow. this isn't for me. I, I feel so called in and called out, and I'm you're 100% correct. God, that's so true. It's like my that's, biggest fear in the world. Right, you don't want to be out of loop, because you literally are a clown. Got, you're this writer this at the opera. gossip clown. You're this gossip clown, so you're like... Cause, I, I, wh- need to, I need to know, I need to and know, And since opera know. usually is basically all gossip, it's like, oh, she cheated on him and right. fucked this other guy in, you know, 1722 in town square, but you don't know, so you're like, well, if I don't know, then right. the gossip isn't for anyone else, and I'm going to say, well, why can't I see the violinist? And, you know, it's it would be very my therapist to say something like, and what would be so devastating if you didn't know? Um, I want to talk about the politics of Nazi affiliation because this was obviously huge in the European American cultural world post-war. 
Um, and sort of like all of the, and it sort of starts to bleed into McCarthyism. And then there was the whole, this whole act where they were like preventing certain people from entering the country if they had ex affiliation or if their relatives had been affiliated with a government that had ended up being, you know, I'm almost surprised taking over the Nazis Sir or whatnot. Bing wasn't blacklisted by McCarthy. Right. No, I know. It's interesting. But, I, well, but, but he like, had been, but he had already, you know, been there. I feel like it started to take root a little bit later. I also feel like it was more like random screenwriters. Yeah. And like not him just like being fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and they were like less caring about opera. Um, But like, yeah, like there's this part we talk about, okay, Miss Flagstead's husband had worked for and with the Nazis. And after the conquest of Norway, she'd return home to be at a side. Like, so this random woman's husband had, like, worked with the Nazis in Norway. But throughout that time, she had not sung in public. It seemed to me peculiar that an artist like Erna Berger, <laughs> who had sung all through the war for the pleasure of the Nazi bigwigs in Berlin, could be acceptable at the Metropolitan, while Miss Flogstad had to be banned. And you're like, yes, peculiar indeed. Yeah, you're like, absolutely <laughs> peculiar that Miss Flogstad, like, couldn't come. And there is, I feel like, he does have all these things, right, of just being sort of like, and if, were they a Nazi? Not sure. Well... They had an amazing voice. Moving on. There's a, there's a part where he refers to somebody as being a mediocre conductor, a mediocre conductor and an outstanding Nazi. And someone's <laughs> like, I would prefer the reverse. <laughs> as I mean, I'm very, like, separate the art from the artist. And I do, you know, I think that, like, especially in that post time, you have these, you know, everyone was all over the place during the war. And, like, but, but you know, at the same time... Well, I, and as we know, you, your German... Excuse, excuse me, my relatives came, came to this country long before the they rise of go the Nazis. To, they didn't go to Argentina. No, and they did not flee to Argentina in 1945. <laughs> Thank you very much. Just wondering because I feel like... I've never been to Buenos Aires there was some and neither horse. has my grandfather. <laughs> there was some horse in Buenos Aires. So <laughs> you do know how to tango very well. <laughs> I have no idea what my grandmother excels at tango. <laughs> One point of him saying, which I was actually surprised by because I think he would be so like, um, support the star, but he's anti-diva and he's anti-solo curtain calls. Like someone, the star coming out and everyone like clapping more and then the rest of the cast having to listen to everyone clap more for them and them come out and like clap less. Yeah, I mean, that's much more um, democratic. Right, which it is. But I was like, isn't there, you know, but people, something... But people love a hierarchy. Yeah, you know? I'm just like, I want to clap for, you You want to clap for the soloist. You know what I thought was a genius bit of psycho manipulation was when when Maria Callas did get fired. And then there was that woman who had to, like, take her place mm, and whatever the it understudy. is. The understudy. The understudy. And he hired someone to come into the theater and yell Brava Callas like to the audience right before she came on stage in a way that would engender sympathy with the audience because they would know that this guy was like being pro Maria and then they would feel bad for her and the fact that she right, had to take over Maria. And he was like, the American propensity for the underdog would cause them to then be more supportive of her on stage. And of course it worked. This is why he's the most genius general manager there has lived. That is so American audience to be like oh, we're going to root for her. We're going to root for her after this, after this, like, callous buffoon well, and I think people, yelled Brava Callous. And, of course, people loved knowing that Callous was, like, such a diva. Oh, yeah, of course. I do also love how he calls out all of the, um, 
all the singers who would always like claim to be sick and they would be like beans. <laughs> I, I think it's a little less that they were Munchausen's and more that they were just like actually trying to not perform and, and be so like. Right, because like, opera is so. <laughs> I can't show up. There are other artists for whom one demands a doctor's certificate whenever they call up to make excuses. Usually a hopeless demand because it is no trouble at all for a singer to procure from a doctor a letter reading Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so is under my care. But the act of demanding the letter is satisfying. And sometimes the implied distrust jolts a singer into re-examining his own condition and discovering that he can sing after all. Rudolph Bing is also being so Friday Night Lights like coach in that way where I feel like would like hire someone in the stands to do what he did but he also was so like i'm not taking excuses he is this football coach and maybe he's a little more monica from cheer who's like so hard but like believes in you no he's not like that. i don't see him as a monica you don't think he's a monica but everyone's like so afraid and like i mean when he was monica. writing those long letters to that one fat guy he was being like and i'm writing to you this because i do have so much respect for you and i hope you know that i'm taking this tone because you're a younger singer and i you're not quite on the right path but you will be on the right path soon enough so he's a little tough love yeah okay he is tough love i just he's not like as in like i don't see him as like weirdly like serious. i don't think he gets like as close yeah and his... he's not as like emotional where he's like seeing himself in the people Yes, like, where he's being like, "This is my team." I feel like he's like, "Well, I'm a retired general manager, darling." Yeah, and this is and what he's, I do. he he you know he sees the talent as muscle, you know, like he sees them as just like these are good singers and some of them could be great singers and and you know hopefully we'll try to make them be better. But he's not like he's like oh, I saw he was like oh he reminded me of me when I was a kid. Where it's like Monica, I think is getting like too involved. And, she definitely and she is. sees herself as a mother in this way. Um. So before we go to segments, did you? Read how he passed his last years of his life. No, he doesn't mention that in his book that he wrote. He doesn't talk about how he died. (laughs) Right. So I did a little extra research. Nina passed away in 1983. And then he became involved with, he got Alzheimer's. And then he became involved with a woman who was 45 years old who had a mental illness. And she basically kidnapped him. And they went on a tour of Anguilla, (gasps) London, Paris, Bahamas. My dream cities. She was like a founder of Rolls Royce. She was like obsessed with the Pope. Like she was completely insane. And they were found living in a homeless shelter in London in 1989. What? Yeah. And then finally, I guess like his old coworkers, they like got control and like annulled this marriage. And like, so she just got like, kidnapped him. him and he would have fully at all times like didn't know where he was. And she was like, I'm spending taking... his money. And they were like going to Anguilla. They didn't have kids. So who's going to leave his money to anyway? Right. I think it was, and it wasn't even that insane. It was like he had 950,000. And then by the time they like annulled their marriage, he had 250,000. Huh. And then he went to some like um, home in Riverside, New York. And that's it's where like, he it's, died. It's like sadder to be at this home than it is to be in Anguilla with this woman who's no, fleecing you. No, I know. You. This like crazy. I'd rather like, if I get Alzheimer's, just fleece me till I'm gone. You know what I mean? Celebrity Book Club. This week on the VIP Lounge, Stephen tells me about seeing Julia Fox at a try-hard bar, and I tell him about an overrated macaroon I had. Yeah, (laughs) we're up to the same old bad shit in here. See you Friday. Uh, this summer, yeah, we're calling it. It's the summer of the hot carny baker. <laughs> it's a hot carny summer. <laughs> hot carny summer. I'm sure we'll see that article in New York Magazine tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
segment, Ms. darling. What does she eat? What does she wear? How does she live? What does she eat? I mean, he actually doesn't... He didn't mention food once in this. Right. And he clearly is sizest. Yes. He does not look a fat woman. Um, um, I mean, but he's he is quite, a wine snob, as he does He's say. a wine snob, and he is thin. So I think he likes his wine. And I do think back then portions were smaller, and he would just have, like, a small bit of steak. And Yeah. And I think he would probably wake up, and he would have, like... He's very Anna Wintour, like, that, like, my, my oh, lunch... steak, my lunch. Is steak and, like, this sort of olive oil sauce and like no Mozz- no cheese but was there tomatoes oh because the whole no, there thing was, was cheese a caprese and no it was a caprese with steak and no tomatoes or something yeah I know but don't you also see him as just one hard boiled egg on this little hard boiled egg like stand that he eats like slowly in the morning yeah, I could see that in kind of like a phantom thread way. But perhaps there's like a little bit, there's like another little bowl. I guess that's what he is. He's so phantom thread. But then there's like another little bowl of like rabbit entrails. <laughs> Fruit. And then like lunch, I feel like doesn't really happen unless he's going out to lunch in like a luncheon way. They're quite busy. Yeah. But he also, is, I think he referred to getting to the office quite late one day. So maybe he actually is being more Spanish about it and just not having breakfast. And like having German espresso and then being like, and then for lunch... Because that's the part where he says, Maybe I would lunch. go home for lunch, and he puts lunch in quotes. And I was like, Is that is, what he fucks, Nina? I was like, Yeah, we're, are you and Nina fucking? And he's been like, Well, darling, I'm not hungry. It's 4 p.m. He probably is fucking her at lunch and being like, And that's when Nina and I make love because he was at the theater all night. Yeah. And it, that's also probably why he's kind of thin because he's probably not really having such a dinner. And he's running around, yeah. He is home with Nina out to a dinner like on non theater nights. Yeah. I think I he's like he having like be... one piece of steak at 6 p.m. And then also, like, throughout the show, maybe he, like, nibbles on, like, one little nut yeah. <laughs> after the show in his Very office. Very squirrel. Um, what, what does she wear? What I does mean, she wear? Darling, just suits. suits. <laughs> <laughs> suits. He dresses. He has a tailor. Okay. He has a tailor in London. He has a tailor in New York. Bow ties. And a tailor he, in Berlin. And he gets his shoe shine when he puts And he's shoes. just like, well, of course, I was going to Milan, so I had to send for my clothes like three weeks in advance, and I get there on the steamer, and they've pressed the shirts, and of course, they didn't have one of the shirts that I had requested, and I don't think he's chaos being ensued. too also like insane smoking jack, and I think it's like his classic, just like black suit. Yeah, the press. well, because he does have you know. It's he, not like Rudolph Bing's famous cravat. No, because he is a social democrat, as you know, and so and he kind of like poo poos the fact that there is this whole like set of you know the extremely rich patrons of the Met, like on all the men in their tails, like all the men in their insane tuxedos who like just congregate in the like men's club area and right. like don't actually donate that much to the Met and like they are kind of like more of a drag on the institution than they are contributors. Um, he's being pretty just classic black so I think he's like, bow tie. Yeah, I think he has just like his regular tux that he like wears at opening night but like it's he's not, not... Right, so tails. He's anti-clowns yeah. and like too rich yeah, tails just... who are there not because they love the opera but just because maybe... That's what you did then. Darling. Exactly. And then how does he live? I mean, I think that they're... So they live in Essex House, that, like, building that's still there today. Um, Which the, is... It's in Midtown. Have you seen, big sign on the top of the roof says Essex House in oh. large letters. Maybe you've seen it. Didn't they, like, shoot Gossip Girl here? Yeah, it's it's used quite often, I think, okay. in exterior shots of Gossip Girl. And at the very end, he goes, um, 
uh, he's like, well, of course, you know, we, we couldn't leave because I was used to the chambermaids at Essex. <laughs> he goes, um, though I remain a British subject, unaffectedly proud of having been knighted, I expect to stay in New York. After 23 years, the Essex house is home and we could not hope to adjust to new chambermaids elsewhere. <laughs> he is just like, is kind of being Chuck Bass and is just like, I'm living in a hotel. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of fabric. And uh, Yeah, I was thinking heavy velvet fabrics everywhere. Brocades. Lush couches that are like very thick but not like comfortable really like i don't ever see him really like lounging i think he's like one pillow goes to bed like he's not like putting his feet up really yeah um well you don't think he's reading a book with his feet up on a sunday once a week puts his feet up on a stool though you know He's not heavy lounging. I think they have a lovely tufted ottoman, and I think that he's in like a gorgeous couch and feet are on the ottoman, babe. <laughs> Let him have it. Let him have his tufted ottoman. Okay, I'll, you, think I'll, he has, you think he's being such a Puritan with his little wooden stool? I'll, I'll, I guess I meant feet on couch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we're really getting into it. No, I think they have like a lovely little like... Like a maid's desk that they use as and a bar card. This, and yes, like, and then he has his deep chair, and then, of course, the ping pong table. And um, I don't think the ping pong table made it to New York. I think that no, was no, a Berlin thing. No, not in Essex. But, and then I could see him really having... I'm seeing him in also, like, his country home in this way, where he's, like, in in the casual, maybe, like, white short sleeve button-down that's 95 degrees. He's playing this wild ping pong and, game with Nina. And he's having, like, a... a a John Collins, like you know, it's like a Tom Collins. Um, what do you but think his mint. bathing suit was when he was in Anguilla when he had like Alzheimer's? I'm th- like so high waisted, even yeah, though it was like, 1984. It was like such a 1930s swimming costume, and he's wearing a swim cap, right? Swim cap, and he's like, "I love the water." <laughs> um, I give this book. I mean, it's so fabulous. I wish it was a little less list. I know. I, you to know, get more into it. There's not a ton of like personal stuff because when I think about Peggy was like one of my favorite books we've read and she, you know, she is so vulnerable and is talking about sex and death. Love and life and love her and, family. And, and also the war, you know, whereas he is really just mostly it's like personnel decisions that were made at various theaters. And he is and being so sassy about it. I love course. the bitchiness. I love like the implication that Tristan and Isolde is a horrible opera, but like. And like that he does I mean, the most tea he does spill, I feel like he uses this book also to pad the Maria, to get his side of the story about Maria Callas. Yeah. So I'm giving this a 3.5 because it's so fab and it's iconic. And like, has there been a sassier general manager of the opera? I no, darling. Darling, I don't think there has been. Uh, if but he has, he wasn't public about being, it. I mean, he put it all out there. And I know he has another book, so... Maybe he gets more personal than that, but I also feel like that's more just lists of names. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm also inclined to give this book um, 3.5 regional operas in Greater Germany. 3.5 Virginia, thrown out Virginia hams, um, out of Virginia hams. Who are you in the book, darling? Darling. <laughs> <laughs> not to pry. Yeah, not to pry. Okay, I think you... Are you know? I think you have a little bing in mm. you for sure, but you're not hundred percent bing. You know, I see him as you know he's a little fastidious. I mean, what yeah. I, you know what I kind of like about him is that he's actually he's not so seeking the limelight, and he like gets the headlines, but he's really trying to like deal with all these other personalities. 
And, I, you know, I feel like I'm... But he is very opinionated yes. in the way you are, but you are more seeking the limelight. Um, I think I see myself, you know, probably as um one of... I mean, I think we know one of the clowns who showed up opening night. I yeah. got I got the the messenger sent me. I an think invite. that we're I think we're both we're the both clowns. the clowns. We're opening night clowns, and and we're like, oh my god, did you just get messengered the <laughs> invite? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and we're getting gussied up, and um, we get on the BMT line and take it, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we have martinis, and yeah, we're like, I can't believe we're at opening night, and like we're like, wait, what's the opera? Well, listen, you know, club kids, this is this is my advice to you. You don't have to read this book, but what I do want you to do at some point in the next week or two, take yourself out to a performance. I don't care if it's the classical music. I don't care if it's opera. I don't, po- I don't know, care if it's a, a goddamn off-Broadway show. play, a rock and roll show. But a go magic out- show. Go out and see someone perform. We are living in a city of culture. And, and then I want you to ask who is the stage manager. Then I want you to ask who is the general manager. Yeah. And then I want you to ask who is the assistant stage manager. And I want you to do a little bit of research and be your own opening clown. <laughs> <laughs> but And uh, throw in some opera maybe after you listen to this episode. And if you live in New York, buy tickets to our show. Yeah, if you want to go see some other kind of like live performance, that is Callis, Maria Callas Caliber, June 24th, Metropolitan Music Hall of Williamsburg. <laughs> <laughs> Best. Best. Darling, Celebrity Book Club is presented by Prologue Projects, which is one of the finest theaters in all of Leipzig. The show is produced by accomplished pianist Benjamin Frisch with additional support from mezzo-soprano Leon Nafok Andrew Parsons who uh, has been very very supportive of the role of our festival in city government Arlene Arevalo who just launched her own festival in Edinburgh and of course Madeline Kaplan better known as the playwright James Birdie our production manager is Percy Everlin who is actually a distinguished judge an original theme song by Stephen Phillips Horst, who is a professor at the Music University of Scotland. Artwork by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, who was just knighted. Follow us on Twitter at Instagram at CBC the Pod. Subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Don't forget to tell your friends about it. And this is what I really want you to join me. We're trying this new thing out. It's called Patreon.com. You're going to go over there. You're going to get access to what we're calling the VIP Lounge. I mean, this is a special club, and it's all the movers and the shakers. And you're going to get to hang out with them, and you're going to get ad-free podcasts. Not a single ad, the whole podcast. You're going to get to hear this this really lovely extra episode every week where you're, you're really going behind the scenes and we're telling you how it all goes down. And so you're going to go to patreon.com slash cbcthepod and you're going to subscribe and I'm, you're going to do it and you're not going to regret it and that's all it is. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope you have a lovely time and uh, we'll see you soon. Best regards. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. 
Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.